So as uh, Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, um, in this service, I don't know if it was in the other service, but he mentioned that there's going to be a, a systematic teaching over the next coming months uh, on spiritual warfare and deliverance. And um, I just wanted to speak to this because um, sometimes uh, in our culture, there's been a, a criminal underemphasis on the things of the Spirit. And when you decide to teach on the things of the Spirit, especially spiritual warfare, people might say, oh, you're teaching too much about it. But it's a, it's a concentrated emphasis to fill the deficit that was lost. And there's going to be a lot of ground covered in a very short amount of time. And it's going to be like the Billy Madison School of Spiritual Warfare. <laughs> and if you got that reference, you should repent. And when you start to focus on spiritual warfare, um, there's a phrase that gets bandied about, and, and it gets accused to people who focus on demons and focusing on this aspect of things that, um, we're, that we're in danger of thinking that there's a demon behind every bush. Who's heard that? Um, I could say with good, fair enough certainty and confidence that Free people's relationship with butches will not change. In fact, I have no idea where that phrase came from. Like, it lends to the fact that someone found a demon behind a bush. And then his friends were like, hashtag not all bushes. But honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that it would actually be easier from a spiritual warfare perspective that this was the case. Because our response to that would just to be avoid and destroy bushes. I mean, I can imagine like working in the yard and I'm like, hey, there's a spirit of fear behind that bush. And then I burn it and it becomes holy ground. Just like it's biblical. <laughs> so that's absurd. Why am I talking about bushes? I'm not going to get into bushes. All right, I'm out of the bushes. I'm getting into my sermon. So... The title of this sermon today is called The Unseen Gospel. And I call it The Unseen Gospel is because in the West, and particularly our American brand of Christianity, we tend to focus on when we say the gospel, we think, oh yeah, that's the good news. And usually that translates to a very human-centric, an anthropocentric depiction of the gospel, meaning you're saved from your sin and you go to heaven when you die, and a very broad stroke synapse of this is what the gospel is. And I want to illuminate, help illuminate through the word, through the Bible, um, that this, there is a gospel that is much broader, that the gospel itself has cosmic ramifications, that it affects all of creation. And so I want to speak to this gospel because this is the good news. And I'm going to be illuminating passages we don't typically focus on in a gospel presentation. And I'll, I'll explain why. Um, but let's start where it all begins. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, And then God creates the earth. God creates plant life. He creates everything that you know and see. And on the sixth day, God did something special. He created man. Uh, In Genesis 1.27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I want to point to this is when he said created in my own image. (laughs) He created man in his own image. An image there, it it really means to like a reflection, like a mirror. He created man to mirror him. um, To display and express God's attributes. And this was man's purpose. Um, And it's a very noble purpose. (laughs) It's a very good thing. Um, And then in the next verse we see in Genesis 1.28, we see that, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So not only did God create earth, not only create he created creation and animals and plants and everything in it, God created man, in his own image, 
And he says, multiply, fill this space. He actually put man in the Garden of Eden, and this was kind of a microcosm of heaven. <laughs> um, this is a really good place that God put them. And um, in this place, he gave them a directive. The directive was, reproduce this in the earth and subdue it. So, and then it said in, the, in, in Genesis, it says, Adam walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. So I imagine God was teaching him and instructing him, this is what this is. This is what you do. This is how we cultivate. This is how we do these things. I want you to reproduce this, the thing that I put in you, put in you, put on you to do across the world. This is my kingdom, and I want it spread everywhere. So right there, God, there's a missional God. He's on mission in creation on the sixth day. Um, and he gives us, so, I mean, this is really great, and this is a really good setup. But he told man, there's one thing that he told man to do. He said, you can eat of any tree in this garden. But I tell you, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do, you shall surely die. Um, which is amazing, because this is one of the attributes of God, is the exercise of free will. If God did not create a tree in which he forbid Adam to take, Adam really wouldn't have any free will, because he's kind of trapped. He's got no choice but to live there. But now he's presented with a choice. Are you going to obey me and love me, or are you going to do your own thing? And God wants a free will love offering from us. Um, and that comes in to play really uh, very powerfully um, when there's like this serpent-shaped wrench that gets thrown into things. So the devil, the serpent, he comes and he tempts Adam, he tempts Eve and deceives her. And it basically says, uh, did God really say that, you know, you'll, you'll really die from eating this tree? Um, because if you eat it, you'll sh- you're going to be like God. And which is a really interesting phrase. You sh- you're going to be like God if you, knowing good from evil, you'll, know, you'll be like God. And um, it's interesting because God gave them everything they needed. They were already like God. Um, but they weren't acquainted with evil, <laughs> which is a really good thing. Um, and so they were, but Adam, Eve was deceived and said, okay, I want to be like God. And, and this is where we move from, I'm doing God's thing to I'm doing my own thing. Um, and she ate of it. And she gave it to Adam and Adam ate of it. Um, and this is generally, this disobedience is generally what's called the fall because it's introduced a lot of things into the world. Um, and unfortunately, part of the human race, <laughs> because this now that directive to propagate is now tinged with sin. And sin distorts and mars the image of God on people because they're bound by doing sinful things and having sinful inclinations and sinful desires and acting on those desires and bringing more sin. And sin, when it's fully formed, brings forth death. And so sin and death is entered into this place relationally, emotionally, Physically, sin and death is, is reigning now because of this decision to take matters in their own hands and be acquainted with evil. Like, they were already acquainted with good, but now they have knowledge of evil. And through that, Satan subverted man's authority. It's like, hey, you're bound by sin. You're in my domain now. You're in my territory. I'll take over from here. And we see kind of this usurpation of authority from man to Satan. Man still has authority, but now it's, it's tinged with satanic influence. Um, and he still gets his way through man to do, to do things because man is governed by sin, and this is really a bad thing. Um, but before they're cast out of the garden, um, because... Basically, what sin did also is it distorted the relationship between God and man. You know, immediately when, when they realized what they'd done, they were ashamed. And they realized that they were naked, and they hid from God. And it introduced this shame response to God. God's like, hey, where are you guys at? And they, they ran away. 
Um, but when God confronts them, it's not without hope. So in Genesis 3.15, he says this. He's addressing the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall, and you shall bruise his heel. So basically, it, it actually renders it in crushed head in other translations. And so God is prophesying to the serpent that your head is going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. And so you will not stand against them. And so immediately, Satan, Satan realizes this. And it's uh, and a really strong correlation between introducing sin and death in the world is that their first child killed their second child. Cain killed Abel. And God even warned Cain, hey, uh, sin is crouching, waiting at your door. You know, stop it. <laughs> Don't listen to it. Don't take hold of it. And he, but he did. And he killed and that, that, you know, violence begets violence, and sin begets sin. And we see this proliferation throughout even the ancient Near East world where this is taking place. Um, thankfully, God has raised up other people through the line of Seth, their third son, to, to eventually uh, produce an offspring to crush Satan's head. Um, so we see this uh, transition as, as things progress uh, we get to Genesis 6, and the sons of God look down at the daughters of men. They see they're beautiful, and they procreate with these daughters of, of, of men. And these are spiritual divine beings that are angelic beings that are procreating with women. And it's a very abomination thing to God, and they create these demonic half-breeds called the Nephilim. But we won't get into that today. <laughs> Needless to say, there's a rebellion of man, and there's a rebellion of angels, and there is a prolific influence of evil across the whole world. And it gets so bad, God's like, reset. Um, he resets the world. Like, he sends a flood. And he preserves Noah and his family uh, because he needs to preserve a line to bring about this offspring that was prophesied. And so God sends a flood and, and cleanses the earth. And he says, he makes a covenant with Noah. It's like, I'm not going to do that again. But he gives Noah the same directive he gave Adam. Multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Take your influence of what you know of me and spread it around the world. Reproduce what I'm producing in you. What, what's been produced in you, reproduce it around the world. Um, which is pretty much, it's still missional. It's very, very missional. And then we get to, there's a proliferation of people, and they're, they're multiplying. And instead of, instead of going around the world and subduing it, and taking dominion over the world, they congregate, and they gather together, and they say, hey, let's build a tower. Let's, let's unify. We're going to be like God. They, they want to build a tower to the heavens, to access the heavens, to be like God. And God's like, no, nah, you're not doing that. And so God sends a confusion on them, and they're broken off into different languages. And this is where we get the origin of different peoples and different nations. And uh, so the, the language is confused. They're scattered. They're speaking different languages. They can't communicate. And so they can't unify. And they can't do this disastrous thing they wanted to do. Um, but then God decides, okay, I need a people for myself. I need to raise up a person to carry, to carry out this, this mandate, this prophecy, um, to, to crush Satan's head. And so um, he raises up a man named Abram. Um, and he eventually makes a covenant with Abraham, and this is Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Period. No, it wasn't there, period. That's a comma. Oh, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to bless you to extend my blessing around the world. I want the whole world to know who I am. And so he raises up Abraham, um, and, he, and he creates a people for himself. And we see kind of this rationale. We kind of see this blueprint uh, in Deuteronomy 32. Um, 
So it says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So when God, during the Tower of Babel, when these people spread, he's like, okay, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to find someone I can use. But in so doing, he's apportioned different spiritual powers to be governing over different peoples. Um, and so it's, it's almost like, I don't, know if, I don't know if competition is the right word, but now there's, peop- there's, rulers, there's spiritual rulers over different peoples, and they're doing their own thing. But God's like, I'm going to do it with these people. I'm going to find this childless man <laughs> and give him one child who's going to be the birth of many. It's like, it's an underdog story. Um, and so, but during this time, um, you know, God, he, he sets apart this people for himself. He, and then he, as he, you know, as they're going along, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, and he makes his, his purpose known to them through various things. And you look at Exodus 19, you see this. Um, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But God didn't want, he wanted to call them out. He wanted to show them who he is. He wanted to give them dictates and say, this is how you be a people. This is how you be my people. And now I want you to reproduce this in the earth. Um. Which is really cool because in Isaiah it says, you are to be, my servant is to be a light unto the nations of the Gentiles. Uh, so, so God is all about the nations. He's all about recovering what was lost and said, God's amazing. I don't know why he does this, but it's like he doesn't unilaterally do his, what he wants to do. He doesn't override man. He's like, I'm going to work through man to get my will accomplished on the earth. And... I mean, I'm just thinking of Psalm 118 um, in that verse, you know, be still and know that I am God. And it's an amazing verse. I love it. Um, I could just imagine, you know, a guy fly fishing, picture on the wall, be still and know that I am God. Oh. There's a second part of that verse. There's a B. That is A. B is, I will be exalted in nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. <laughs> this is his directive. This is his intention. And, and we'll see throughout this, this gospel that <laughs> and even John, it talks about God being raised up and drawing all men to himself. Jesus being raised up. And so his intention is to set apart people to know him and to represent him and to reproduce that in the earth. And to say, this is the kingdom of God. Um, and so the, the Israelites are given the law. Um, starting with the Ten Commandments. And the first two are really interesting. Um, you sh- I shall be your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make idols out of any graven images. So worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. Um, there are other gods at play here. Little g gods. Um, like when he gave these nations to the sons of God, they're doing their own thing. And eventually they start, like, God is moving with these people, and he's doing his thing, but he's getting opposition to God's people. It's, like, it's almost like these powers are now colluding against Yahweh, who's raising up a people. And it's like, <laughs> and there is a war. There's a war for the heart of people. Because God knows that man still has authority, and where man gives his authority, he gives spiritual power. And so when these people are captivated by other religions, by other gods, by other practices that bind them to those things, they're, giving, they're empowering the enemy in that territory. They're empowering the enemy in the earth. And they're, they're not being his people, um, which is why it's, idolatry is such a grave thing for God, that why he wants worship, why he's like, if you'd only just come to me. There's so many times in the Old Testament 
And it's a, it's a wonderful example for us. <laughs> Israel's an example for us. But so he gave them the commandments. He set up an institution of sacrifice where it's, it's actually not the re- complete removal of sin itself. It's, it's, like pruning, it's like pruning the tree. Because when you, when you give yourself to sin, it only gets worse. It's never like it never levels out and said, okay, I have enough sin. That's enough sin. You can stop. No, no. why you keep? All right, you keep, okay. Sin keeps growing, and it's proliferating. And it, it, <laughs> so God set up a sacrificial system to say like, hey, when you do this, your sins will be imputed to these things. But it's not dealing with the root of sin. It's dealing with the symptoms of sin. And it's, it's kind of gives a, um, it's a pruning, but it's not an uprooting. Um, so God would have to do something about that root. Um, so, so when, when people give their allegiance to other things and to spiritual things, they subvert their own authority because now they're doing what this God, this little G God, this spirit wants to them to do. And it's causing conflict. And there's always a war. There's a cosmic battle going on. Um, and the gospel addresses this very thing. So, um, and the fullness of time came, Jesus came on the earth. And he humbled himself, and he did not account equality with, with God, something to be grasped. Um, and so God took on human flesh, and he walked among us. Um, and in Hebrews, it says that in many times, in various ways, God spoke to us through the prophets, but now he's revealed himself in the Son. So, you had glimmers, you had shadows, you had pictures before of God, but this is the supreme revelation of who God is. This is God in the flesh. Take what you know about God and what you think of the God and think if he came in as a man, if he doesn't look like Jesus, there's an issue because this is what, exactly what happened. Jesus came as a man. Or God came as a man and it's Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Um, so Jesus is representing God. And what does Jesus do? So I think I'm going to highlight a couple passages that really get a good summary of what Jesus did. Um, so in Matthew, it says this, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them all. And so when he came on the scene, these are casualties of war. So when these people sick, harassed, oppressed by the demonic forces, by the corruption of sin itself, these people are corrupted in mind, they're corrupted in body, and they're corrupted in spirit. And Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I'm going to address this. And this is how he represents God to us. He heals us, he sets us free, and he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation. Um, and salvation is a wonderful part, aspect of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. This is the gospel of the kingdom. So where God rules and reigns, and this is what it looks like when God rules and reigns. There's not decay. There's not corruption. There's not sin. There is peace, joy, and righteousness. (laughs) And that's what he wants to reproduce in the earth because this is who he is. Um, And then in Acts 10.38, Peter summarizes it to Cornelius, and he says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's amazing. Praise God. This is who our God is. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to, like, is he or isn't? He's good. And this is what goodness looks like. This is how it represents itself. This is goodness of God. Healing and deliverance. And preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. He sent out his disciples. And that's what he said. When he sent out the 72. You know, he said, heal the sick, cast out devils, and say the kingdom of God's come near to you. Hey, 
You're in the vicinity of the, of the kingdom of God when there's healing and deliverance happening. And then it's really interesting when they come back and say, hey, the demons, they're, they're subject to us because he gave them authority. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is really interesting. <laughs> they went into regions and they preached the good news. They healed the sick and they cast out devils. And Satan was disempowered in a region. He's like, I saw Satan fall. Good job, guys. <laughs> His influence is waning. So, to summarize, um, John summarizes this in 1 John. Um, that whoever takes the practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. Um, and I don't know if you can preach that in churches that don't even recognize the devil's influence. And if that's the reason Jesus came, then you're, you're preaching a very short, shortened gospel, a truncated gospel. And you're not getting the full picture. And so this is why Jesus came. To destroy the works of the devil and to take man back. Um, so when Jesus died, he died to sin and he was raised to life in his resurrection. And so he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that root of sin that has marred our image, that has marred our thinking, that has distorted our purpose on the earth has been rectified by Jesus Christ. So, Jesus actually takes back authority. So, in Philippians 2, it says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It wasn't just humanity. It was everything. <laughs> so every knee is going to bow. Jesus has been given all authority. And so the creator, who has, who has actually the right to take authority, he doesn't, he doesn't override creation. He becomes subject to creation's rules, and he plays by creation's game, and then he wins. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. <laughs> he wins, and he wins over everything. And the thing is, he wants to share it. He wants to share his victory. You are shared in his victory. So this speaks to your purpose. So man is restored to his created purpose. Because sin is no longer the component that is keeping him bound. And this is why it's important that we understand the dynamic of sin and us and what he did. It's not just so that we can be gooder. I'm going to do more gooder. I'm a nice guy. I'm going to heaven. Um, there's things to do. He's got things to do. He's, things he's commissioned us to do. And so... I love Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, it says this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be foremost, that me he might have the first place. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself some things. Oh, wait. All things whether on earth or in heaven. Notice that. Everything. Reconciling everything. Making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is a, a global gospel. This is a cosmic gospel. 
this is an amazing gospel. And <laughs> so God's intention is to reconcile all things to him. And why does he mention the body? Why does he mention the church? So we're going to get to that. Um, but it's really amazing that Jesus as a man did this thing. And he elevated man's status again. Because he took on flesh. And he became a man. And dwelt among us. And then he was elevated as a man. And so now we are over the things that we were under from. And so we are joint heirs with Christ. So if he's above every other name and he's seated on high. And that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Then God has restored man's dignity. And his authority. And there's, there's ways that he's expressed those things. But I just want to focus a little bit on the most um, quoted passage. So in, in the New Testament, there's an Old Testament passage that gets quoted the most. And that is um, Psalm 110.1. It says this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, in Psalm 2, God tells Jesus, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, your, the ends of the earth your possession. And it's funny because Satan tempted God with the kingdoms of this world. He's like, Oh, I have all the kingdoms. I know Psalm 2. You can just do the easy way, and you can just bow to me, and I'll give you everything. Because I know that God asked you that. And he asked for the nations. Whew. <laughs> um, so let's, let's look at these passages where this, this that, that Psalm 110 is quoted. Because, like, it's a purpose. There's a purpose for these things. Um, these aren't in the gospel because we don't necessarily see the gospel this way in our culture. Because... We don't think of those dynamics of the spiritual world and spiritual warfare and what's at play and what's happening in the earth and, what, and the cosmic victory that Jesus wrought. So if you think it's just about, you know, just doing good things and being free from doing sinful things and living a good life and going to heaven when you die, you're missing out on so much what he has for you. Because he's... I'll get into it. All right. Um... So, what's that have to do with us? Like, what is, like, let's let's go, okay, let's go Acts 2.32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, a position of authority, and having received from the Father the promises of the the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit down, Jesus. Watch what I do. And he sends the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is actively involved in this process right here. Creating footstools of the enemy. And I'm not, I'm not thinking of an ottoman. Don't think of an ottoman when you think of footstool. Think of the foot on the neck of the enemy. In Hebrews, it says this, 10, 12. This Jesus, well, when, Jesus, when Christ had offered for all time <laughs> a single sacrifice for all sins, this doesn't just cleanse you, it uprooted sin forever. He sat down at the right hand of God, again, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. This seems like to be an important concept if it's quoted over and over and over again. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
What's this have to do with us? He's actually inviting us to be an active participant on subduing the enemy. (laughs) Using his authority and his power by his Holy Spirit. So, let's go to uh, Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Praise God. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does our bound to sin have to do with disarming the enemy? God is actually, I'm taking back man. Man is mine, and I'm washing him, I'm cleansing him, I'm removing sin stain and marring from the image of God, and I'm reproducing in him me, who's going to represent him, me in the earth, and I'm going to empower him by my Holy Spirit to do the things that I did. And so... He's disarming the the rules and authorities because no longer will they have dominion over man. But God has restored man's dignity, and those who call upon his name are are going to be restored into that place. So we don't have to be bound by sin's dictates anymore and be influenced by the enemy's powers. And so (laughs) he just checkmated the enemy. And this is what that means. So in, in Ephesians... Even more what to do with us, Ephesians 1.19. And so Paul opens his passages, I, I pray that God that give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, opening your eyes, opening the eye, enlightening the eyes of your heart so you know the hope and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That seems like a theme. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Not only is it under the earth, in the earth, and over the earth, it's actually in this age and also in the one to come. This is a very strong victory. (laughs) And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to where? Where did Jesus put it? To the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head and we are the body. And he's got a, there's a mandate on us to do the things that he did so that we can see the, thing, the powers disarmed in this age. And he's given all authority to that end. And I'll show you that. So, I mean... Even in Ephesians 6, it talks about um, our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the evil spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. That's, that is our battle. And that's kind of interesting to me, because as I was thinking about it, I'm like, we really have an exalted status if that's our enemy. <laughs> So it means something. So if, if the enemy gets you, if you get saved, okay, yeah, the enemy will concede that. But don't do anything about it. Don't recognize who you are. Do not, do not rise up to your cosmic calling. <laughs> do not uh, heal the sick. Do not cast out devils. Do not preach the good news. Do not do spiritual warfare because... I want to keep my stuff. I want to keep my earth. I want, it says, in John it says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But Jesus made a way to rectify that. So, so that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover, the waters, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So we, we're a part of this process of doing that. Um, so in Matthew 28, he gives this commission. We call it the Great Commission, but there's several commissions that Jesus gives. And Jesus came to them and said, this authority thing is really important, it seems. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So why would Jesus preface this commissioning with 
hey, all authority is mine. Go. Because he said he's going with us. <laughs> so exercise the authority that you've been given. Back what I what meant for Adam to do, but I did for you so that you can do the things I do in the earth. Because I still want that proliferation of the kingdom of God throughout the whole earth. So in Acts 1.8, we see this as well. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This seems like an important thing to do. And we can't do it without Holy Spirit. And God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can do it. And I, I just kind of want to wrap, wrap this section up with this. Ephesians um, 3. It says, this is the gospel. So through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This, this is, we have a role to play. The church is the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, who will do the, the things that he does according to what he says to do. And he's got a purpose. He's burning with purpose. He's burning for the nations. He's burning for the world to know him and to be like him so that he can, so that the world knows his influence and that original authority mandate is given and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is the position, and I say all this, and this is just a pretext. And I wanted to share the gospel in this capacity because I feel like it doesn't get mentioned in this capacity. Like, it's authority and these powers and these rulers, and it seems like a really big deal because it's everywhere in the New Testament. It's everywhere in the Old Testament. And... If we're not aware of this, then we might have trouble contextualizing and rationalizing why are we talking about spiritual warfare? Why are we talking about deliverance? Why are we talking about healing? Why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? It's not just so that we can be better people, but God has a purpose. And he wants his kingdom to come. He wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So... And he does this by salvation. He calls people out of darkness and into light. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Like, oh, there's a kingdom transfer that took place. I am no longer part of this kingdom of darkness. I am now part of God's kingdom. And he reconciles us. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And his, he wants the whole world reconciled to himself. And he, he says, you be my ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. Um, in Romans 8, it talks about the, the, that we're adopted as sons to God. And in that adoption, um, it later says, like, the whole creation groans with eager expectation for the manifestations of the Son of God, sons of God. So we just were called sons, and then it says that creation groans for the manifestations of manifestations for the revealing for the expression of the sons of God. So creation is at play here too. <laughs> um, so Jesus calls us into salvation. He's like, "I want to free you. I want I want you mine. I want you adopted in my kingdom. I want to wash you. I want to cleanse you." Um, and I know we don't usually think about this, but baptism is warfare. Not only are you aligning with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and identifying with him, I am dead to sin and raised to life in Christ, but it's a declaration to all the powers. Not only the people in this room, but the powers. Hey, I'm on God's team. You know, I may never march in the infantry or ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. That's the biggest response I've gotten. <laughs> but, but he also wants to equip his people. 
He wants to arm them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he wants to baptize them not only in water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so to do the things he's called us to do and to subdue the enemy that he's already overcome. We're to enforce that victory in the earth. Um, So, I don't know where to go from here. But I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward. Um, And if um, you've been stirring in your heart something I've mentioned, because it's not what I said, it's it's basically what the word reveals. But the Lord might be stirring your heart and says, I, I didn't realize what, what is at play here. I didn't know <laughs> this is what Jesus did and wants to do. And I want to be a part of this. I, I want to be cleansed from my sin. I want to be saved. I want to be on, in the kingdom of light. I do not want to follow my old paths, but I want to walk in newness of life. And that's salvation. <laughs> and, he, and he wants all people to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so I'm going to make an invitation for several things, but, and it's just a generalized thing. Um, but if you feel like the Lord's stirring in your heart and like, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to be a part of the Lord's army, <laughs> and, if, and I want to yield myself and make him Lord and say, God, anything you want, I'll do it. And he will use you. He will do it. And so I ask God that... Uh, right now, that you would begin to prick hearts. That you are moving on hearts right now. God, right now in Jesus' name, I cancel and cut off all missions and assignments that the enemies have blocking people from hearing, blocking people from receiving the good news of the kingdom of God. This is good news. And we long for those things to be expressed in the earth. So if you want to get saved and you want to know Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do several things, but you can all come forward at once. But like, I, I feel like there's, there's people here that might want to get baptized. Like, hey, I, you know, I've been him and hawing, and like, I, wanna, I want the world to know that I am aligned with Jesus Christ. And it's important. It's important. Because there's no ambiguity with that. There's no like, oh, did I say the right word? Oh, did I believe in my heart? Oh, is it really true? No. You make a decision. I choose to trust and follow Jesus, and I get baptized. And it's like, well, there's a pretty clear, clear indication that you've actually went into service of the king. And some of you might want the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're like, hey, I want to be empowered to do the things that Jesus did. <laughs> I want a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because I need power. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit this is what he does. <laughs> You'll be my witnesses. That's what happens when power comes on you. You witness to who God is. And some of you need healing. And some of you need breakthrough. Some of you are bound by sin. Some of you are bound by oppression. And you're like, this is the good news. Jesus is bigger than my oppression. He actually has authority. And he's actually empowered his saints to do his work. So I don't have to be afraid anymore. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you, God, for your mercy. I thank you, God, for your love. I thank you, God, for your presence here today. Thank you, God, for Holy Spirit. That you are moving the hearts of people and calling them up. Come up here. I must show you what must take place after this. Come up here. And so let us cut off all distraction, every sin and and weight that so encumbers us, and let us run toward the prize, toward the upward call of Christ. So I thank you, God, for the removal of weights, the removal of blinders, the removal of blockers. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you, God, for your love. I ask that you would move in power and you'd minister Holy Spirit. And if, if, 
what I'm speaking right now is affecting you, and you don't, you might not even like, I don't need to get baptized, I don't need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't need, but you just want to make a declaration saying, I'm on God's team, and I, I am signing up for the call, like, uh, whether, and you might have thought like, oh, I, I failed my enlistment, no, you didn't fail, re-enlist, you did not fail, you're not broken, you're not broken beyond repair, but God can bring re- restoration, just like what Pastor Aaron was saying. Jesus restored Peter into his purpose, into his destiny, into his calling. And some of you need to be restored in your purpose. And so this is for everyone. If you need to come into the altar, if you need to pray with somebody, if you need to sit alone in your seat with God and say, God, I repent, like, I've been actually listening to the enemy's taunts and lies in my mind and allowing shame to bind me and fear to hold me back from doing the things I know you've called me to do. And so he's worthy of it all. And we need to count the cost of not following Jesus. Because you can live that life that it so pales to what God has for you. And so we don't want you to continue to be bound, shackled by those things anymore. But I just ask that you would respond to God in whatever way that he's telling you to, whether it's coming forward right now, in the altar, in your chair, like whatever it is. Whether you want to pray with somebody, like whatever it is, like Lord's saying, there's a decision moment here. There's a now moment here. It's like, are you with me? Are you for me? And if you can't, if you can't make a move physically to respond, then it's, there's not a strong enough conviction. <laughs> he wants you to know him. And he wants to heal you. And he wants to bring you freedom. <laughs>